There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Austin, Texas this week, where I'm on the road to host a women's storytelling event this Wednesday, and then to speak for the Texas Network of Youth Services Conference about leadership on Thursday. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspire contribution, innovation, and perseverance performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into the program, let me give a shout out to our sponsor, rentwithrighttobuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape or if you are in a transition, such as a divorce, downsizing, or relocating and unsure about the new area, we're checking out a new opportunity to see if it aligns with your purpose. Of course, I love that. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose. You're interested in, in the Women on Purpose Thought Leadership Summit and Retreat in the Portland, Oregon area, September 8th through 11th, 2019, or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any event, I'm glad we're connected. Thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us live right in front of me is Paul Garrett who is affectionately called a law school dropout who has worked as a church pew wood planer, digital electronics scales technician, union activist, and chapter president and administrator of standardized tests, among many various diverse occupations. He had a long career with the Internal Revenue Service as one of the good guys, he likes to say, helping taxpayers resolve nightmarish problems and get their refunds and abatements. After retirement, he found himself getting antsy, so he returned to the workforce more invigorated and seeking more purpose and more than just a job. He currently assists community college faculty with technology and innovation. In this conversation, we'll be talking about some of his career highlights spanning several decades, how he learned that retirement is not healthy for him, and why constant retooling is both fun and necessary in today's ever-evolving job market. I'm here with him on Austin Community College campus. Paul, welcome to Working on Purpose. Oh, thank you, Elise. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here, and it's uh, great to finally be able to meet you. Uh, absolutely. And um, so and you and I connected sometime. You had heard my show at some point, and for our listeners' sake, so you understand just how this conversation came to be, um, I knew that I was going to be in Austin to be speaking at this conference, and then I thought, what the heck, I'll go ahead and host a women's storytelling session. And I thought, well, I'm on the road. Wouldn't it be fun to source my guest from Austin? At which point I began looking for people I knew in Austin, remembered that you and I were connected on LinkedIn, and I thought we could have an interesting conversation. So literally, it's freshly generated content from the road. Thank you, Paul. Well, you're welcome. And you needed to find somebody truly weird since we're trying to keep it that way in Austin. Oh, let's keep it weird in Austin. Sounds good. 
Well, there's three things that I want to talk about with you that I think are pertinent to our listenership. And the first one is just talking about your overall career. You've done lots of different things, and I like to be able to find what you have found meaningful about your, your work. So first, why did you study why law school? Well, I think it was the thing to do and, and um, that I'd always, you know, grown up expected in a way that I would go into law and, and even maybe even politics. And, and um, you know, I, I did really well on the, uh, the entrance exam, LSAT, and I thought that that's, that meant that that was what I should do, you know, because I excelled in that. And what I found was that, you know, I was living somebody else's dream, not my own. And um, it was time for me to um, step back and, and live my life according to, to my own needs and my own dreams. Let me come around that really quick, Paul. That is so, so, so important. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she's right now, of course, in the throes trying to figure out what she's going to study when she goes to college. She thinks probably medicine, and I've had a lot of conversation with her to say, make sure that you choose whatever it is you're going into. You're the one who's going to live that life. So I really applaud that you're able to step back and say, mm, this is not for me. How did you know? Well, I, I got a little help when one my best friend in law school, I, uh, I hate to bring this up, but he committed suicide. And that um, the loss of that uh, friend, you know, I, uh, somebody that I was relying on uh, as a a, a comrade in arms in law school against all the uh, stress and the being uh, verbally uh, interrogated by professors uh, unmercifully. <laughs> so that helped me. Uh, that gave me a, a kickstart in that direction is rethinking the whole um, idea as to whether this is really something that that's right for me. So then, instead of law school, then what did you do next? What I did next was I uh, went about as far in a different direction in uh, technology uh, as a uh, digital electronic scales technician. I was a scalesman. Uh, Not a salesman, but a scalesman. That's right. awesome. We got it. Right. It was, uh, I don't know if it, you know, I wasn't a scales person. I was a scalesman because it was a industry, you know, dominated by men at the time. And um, I got very involved in uh, a up-and-coming young company uh, that was distributing electronic scales in all different fields, uh, agricultural, truck scales, uh, industrial applications, and postal scales, mailing systems. And I would go help the salespeople do presentations and then do the installations, and then we would sell service contracts. And so... I was the one um, as part of the service staff that was called upon when everything started uh, coming up less than perfect from what we promised. <laughs> With all due respect to you attorneys out there who are listening to the show, that sounds like so much more fun than arguing with someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned a lot uh, about the way things are done in the real working world, so-called real world. Uh of you know, producing things, things that we need, uh, whether it be uh, food or uh, um, uh, uh, transportation, you know, the truck scales. 
So let's go to, de- to today's world. You and I talked about this on the phone when we were getting ready for this conversation. Help our listeners understand what does work mean to you? From your vantage point today, where you are in your life, what does work mean to you? Well, I think work is a, a developmental uh, process. And I think that it uh, is a thing that sustains me. Of course, it is an income, but um, if it was just an income, then I might still be retired because I could probably get by if if necessary. I was getting by. Um, I think it's also an educational learning experience. It's an opportunity to learn from others, to help others, and to grow. And um, so it's a process that I'm really glad that I got back involved in. I was uh, really, I think, kind of getting stagnant with not learning new things and just getting into old patterns. Absolutely. Old behaviors. I want to comment on what you just said about when I ask you what work means to you. Um, I did some pretty pretty robust research investigating how, first for, my, for my, my, my dissertation when I did my PhD, and then I did a postdoc augmented research approach where I interviewed 115 men and women across 20 different professions between the ages of 18 and 80 to learn how they experience meaning in their work and how their work is related or not related to their sense of self or identity. And I found 15 modes of engagement. They're on my website at elisecortez.com. And you would be, just based on what you said, you're in what I call the self-actualizing mode, as I was too for many years before I went into uh, living my purpose mode. So the self-actualizing mode is just that. It's where people, what they look for work, what they most prize from work is the development, the stimulation of growth and ongoing learning that the work provides them and that they see their work principally, um, not just from the income vantage point, but as a vehicle to develop themselves. So that's what I'm hearing from you. Right, and for so many years, you know, I loved some of my work. Uh, I was a a union representative and president and I loved helping people. Uh, We had, you know, people in dire conditions either losing jobs or, you know, being unfairly denied a promotion or a, um, a transfer or various things. And it was just so satisfying personally when um, we were able to help people out and, and, you know, we didn't win every case, but we had a pretty good track record going there for a while. So, but what I found is that, you know, that that's almost like a rush winning a case and it's the personal satisfaction of helping somebody feels um, so great, but then after a while, um, you haven't really necessarily um, advanced in developing your whole skills and your your whole job um, capabilities. And that's when um, I started thinking that um, it was time that I start helping myself and not just look out um, for the gratification of helping others when able to do that and it was time to try to build a career that would uh, mean something to myself where I could um, you know feel like it was really what I was meant to be and edifying to myself and getting fulfillment from it. So to that end one of the things we talked about when we were on the phone is I asked you how it was that you find yourself working in education and you said well, I come from a, a family of educators. Uh, my dad is a retired theologian uh, who um, 
has taught um, around the world and um, a leading theologian in his field. And my mom um, was a teacher and librarian for uh, much of her life. And I just uh, was so um, shaped and also um, admiring of them in, in their helping people and teaching people. And I learned so much from them. And I would like to, uh, to be able, in a small way, to, uh, to pass that on. It's so interesting. What I appreciate when people telling our stories is really important. I really encourage all of our all of you listeners. If you've never told your story or written down your life story, even if it's just three pages, I start with three words or three sentences, and then you can kind of develop from there. But when you talk about your life story like that, and you claim all the things that have made you into who you are today, there's power in that. Don't you think to go back I and really reflect do. on all that? Yeah, I I love talking about things from my early life. Of course, my age, I can remember those things uh, clearly, and I forget what I did a week ago. But um, I think that those uh, shaping experiences, whether it's in uh, elementary school or high school, the teachers that helped me, um, it's always been something that has meant so much to me. And I've, I've been involved in education one way or another for much of my life. and. This is a good fit for me to come back into in reentering the workforce. Well, the other thing too, and I don't know if you can you can conjure this now for this conversation, but today in your role, are there certain things and your other experiences, your other jobs that you pull from, or that you you realize that you're leaning from to be able to do this work today? Oh yeah, um, I uh, have a lot of situations to help. Uh, faculty when they have a, uh, a situation where in the classroom uh, there's some type of technical issue and that's exactly a drawing on when I had to, to go into the middle of uh, M&M Mars uh, when one of their forklift operators had skidded into one of their uh, way bars and knocked out their uh, their mixing scales, the batch scales and he got to deliver the goods right then and there. So um, you know, there's pressure, and sometimes I go in, you know, a little bit fearful or, uh, when I first started in this position. Uh, but actually, um, when you can set the fear aside, it's actually um, confidence building. Because if you go in and set that fear aside, you find that you can do things that you never really realized you had in you. And that's a way of growing and uh, becoming confident for that next even bigger situation. It certainly is, Paul. And on that note, let's take our first break. I completely agree. Leaning into fear is a great way to learn and to grow. The opportunity is leaning into it. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been here with with uh, Paul Garrett. He is affectionately called a, a law school dropout. And he's also what I like to call a jack of many trades. He is a faculty resource technician here at the Austin Community College. We've been talking a bit about his various early experiences in his life and how he chose to create the life that he did. After the break, we're going to talk about why retirement wasn't for him. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Paul Garrett. Among other many affectionate things, he's known as a law school dropout, and he's also a jack of many, many trades that he's very proud of. Today, he is a faculty resource technician and works for the Austin Community College. We've been talking before the break about really some of his earlier experiences in the work world and what work means to him. And for this part of the conversation, I want to focus on why retirement wasn't a good idea. So, Paul, help us understand a little bit about what was going on for you. You you started, you, you retired from first what position and when? How long ago? Uh, I retired from the uh, Internal Revenue Service as a... Uh, um, technical specialist in customer service and uh, also worked in audit reconsideration and um, once I was retired uh, my whole structure in life and my uh, schedule and reasons for doing things were gone and I was left on my own to try to uh, kind of uh, wade through the day and I found that I would at the end of the day I'd be lucky to have gotten one or two decent things accomplished uh, it was getting to that situation uh, so I was stagnating and um, it was starting to uh, lead me to become uh, more depressed I had had a history of a major depressive illness that I'd been receiving help for since the early 80s but um, this this re-triggered some of the uh, more serious aspects of the depression and what I find now is that uh, I've got more of a a structured purpose in my life and it's the self-discipline has come back to where I can um, really feel good about getting up and doing things and accomplishing things even if they're small things. This is so important, Paul, and one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on the show is just for this very reason to talk about why retirement isn't always the best thing, at least not in the classical sense of, because retirement really means, I forget exactly what it means from Latin, Latin but it means to, to move away from or something like that, recluse essentially. And um, what we find oftentimes when people retire is they don't last very long after that, usually. In other words, oftentimes it's they're six feet under just a couple of years afterwards. And I can tell you that my own mother passed away this January 2019 at the age of 73. She had major COPD, smoking-related conditions that were, were complications. But I am firmly convinced if she had something to focus on to be of service to others, she would have lasted much longer than she than she did. Um, I'm so sorry to, uh, for your loss. Um, my my dad um, is uh, in his early 90s. Uh, he'll be. Um, 94 this year and um, he kept teaching until his 
late 80s. Um, he was a part-time faculty still in the seminary. Um, and I think that that's really what has kept him going is his drive. He has, when he got sick recently, it was what should have been a fatal incident, but his will to live and his drive just it kept him going. It forced himself to live almost. He just picked himself up from that situation. And that's exactly what we're getting at here. So if my listeners have heard me for a while, they know that I'm also a logotherapist, which means that I, I adhere to existential psychology principles that were created by Viktor Frankl, who has really talked a lot about the importance of the will to live. And that actually meaning is the most critical motivational factor to man. So when we, when we have something in our lives that we can find meaningful, and that can be to be of service for others, to others, whatever it is, it's that ability to be able to create and discover meaning in the moment and across our lives that helps us have that will to live. And it's so important. Yeah, I find that um, it, it's the drive to, to live. Um, it's something that I, I tap into in overcoming depression. It, um, it can help me in my health um, experiences um, get more involved in things and it just has a, a reciprocal and um, a ripple effect in all of my life like becoming more involved across the board well and the other thing too is the older we get the more we have accumulated all these life experiences and things we've learned how to do we're, we're very valuable I do think that our culture in the United States would be well served to value our, our elders more than it currently does so even if when we when we talk about retirement in the traditional sense but you can still do many other things to be useful like for example my, one of my dear friends both of his parents do a lot of volunteer work in the community feeding um, the, the homeless and they are counted on for that they're dependent on for that and it lights them up they don't get paid for it but this is their contribution to their community and people love them for that so there's so many ways to be of service when we maybe aren't dependent on making a living and income anymore that are so important for well-being i agree that that they have found a mission and that has to um, just amplify the will to live and you know there's been times when i, I felt that mission uh, when i was uh, representing um, people and employees um, that really i had a drive and uh, it kept me going and then i realized in the long run that I needed to apply some of that drive to building myself up and uh, be uh, ready for the future and have a full, fully developed self and fully um, advanced career. And we want to talk more about that too in our next segment. So we'll, let's hold those thoughts. But, and in terms of retirement, do you know very many people in your immediate midst who are fully retired and don't work? No, I don't, I'm not a member of a, well, when I was retired, I, didn't join up, you know, the various uh, retirement groups or um, in the uh, neighborhood association, there's a retirees club. I didn't join up, but, uh, you know, maybe I should have because it would have helped me get more, get going better and be more social and more active. But, uh, no, I'm, I deal mainly with uh, people that are working people. Mm-hmm. So you're reminding me, I don't know what it is you just said there, Paul, but it, it reminded very fondly of uh, a, a joke that I heard Ben Zander share in, in one of his YouTube videos. I, I use his work, The Art of Possibility, sometimes to make some points, but he talks about how 
a cab stops in New York City for this gentleman who hops in the back seat and, he, and the guy in the back seat goes, step on it, go as fast as you can. And the cab driver says to him, where are we going? And he goes, it doesn't matter. I'm needed everywhere. (laughs) I just think that is so great, right? If you can go through life thinking like that, right? I'm up to something. I'm needed everywhere I go. Think about the fuel that gives you and how how that would help you get out of bed, give a spring to your step, allow you to be of service. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful when you can conjure that kind of a perspective for yourself. That's that's great New York humor, and uh, you got to be ready to to deal with everywhere there. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy um, being able to be depended on and being able to deliver, um, at least you know, at a fairly high rate of success. And so, being being somebody that can be relied on to be there for people, um, that's rewarding and. Um, motivating it is in fact Viktor Frankl and, and and again I continue I'm always studying something and I'm just getting into transcendental meditation as well but I'm always taking some kind of course to fortify my learning and to keep myself growing and learning too and so I'm taking another, another local therapy course right now well, that's wonderful and I absolutely love it it's just ongoing study and I have a, a conversation every week with my professor but um, this whole thing about recognizing that life doesn't owe us happiness we owe it it, it. it gives us the opportunity to be of service, to 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 be responsible for our own fulfillment and happiness. But it doesn't owe us happiness. And I think when you have that kind of perspective, and that's very much what logotherapy teaches, um, it, it it enables a sense of, of of accountability and responsibility in yourself to create the life that you want. That you recognize you're not a victim to it. Whatever has happened in your life, it can transmuted into a positive learning experience if you can view it that way and you can view it you can view it that way yeah that um that sounds like um i was listening to one of your recent podcasts about overcoming uh, overwhelming um experiences or dif- difficultly um life experiences and the ways of t- turning that around and making them work for you well, I'm up with a firm belief uh, I, that, that embracing adversity helps us become the person we are meant to become. And for the longest time, Paul, I used to say I probably won't amount to much in life because I really haven't had to deal with a lot in my life. I haven't had to overcome a lot in my life. And I was really worried that I was going to be, you know, just an average mediocre human being. And, and a few things along the way have helped me that I've had to deal with that were hard. The divorce was very hard. And there have been a, a few other things that have that have really helped me and I'm so grateful for those things because they really did help me become who I believe I'm supposed to become and when you look at it that way it's it is such a gift yeah I've been knocked down flat on my face uh, excuse me various times in my life and seemingly the hardest thing that that I've dealt with since the previous knockdown but uh, in taking those lumps um I find that uh, I'm able to deal with even bigger, bigger challenges, and I'm ready for them. Yes, and so going back to our our, our topic here about uh, avoiding retirement, or at least the, the the classical sense of it. I'm not saying you know that if you don't have to be dependent on making an income anymore, that that's not great. But finding a way to challenge yourself to to be of service to other people, to keep yourself learning and growing, is is so important for ongoing well-being. And, and also, too, in my view, um, 
honoring this one precious life we've been given. I mentioned that my mother died in early January of this year. Well, my father followed her out 28 days later. So I have a wholly different perspective about when I ask my audiences, what will you do with this one precious life? Because now I really, really understand how finite life really is. And so I have this urgency and intensity to do all these things that I've got on my radar to get down my book and my platform, all these things that I'm working on. There's an urgency that comes with recognizing that we we have finality in our lives. Yeah, it's exciting and it's, uh, it's daunting, but uh, it's such a challenge. I, I find that I've been able to take advantage of some supportive opportunities here at the college uh, with some of the training that's offered. Uh, and I'm, I'm studying um, Photoshop and uh, photography on the, um, the LinkedIn courses. Which and is so great. It seems to be developing certain parts of my life creatively and um, helping me in my job as well. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about that after we have the, have the, we go on the break here because I really want to focus on that retooling here. But before we get there, um, back to, I remembered finally what that retirement actually means to withdraw from. So you're withdrawing, you could say that it means you're kind of withdrawing from sort of society in many ways. And again, it's a, it's a way to reframe. My, um, my ex-father-in-law is in his mid-80s, and he's still practicing health care. He's, he's an OBGYN. He does surgery still. And, and I talked to uh, my, my mother-in-law the other day, and I said, when do you think he's going to quit? He, she said, the day he drops to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is so great. He is a delightful man. He's cheerful. He's kind. He's good. He's so careful about his work. And he is, he's, he works hard and many long hours, and it really keeps him going. And he has a lifetime of experiences dealing in medicine that, that give him a broader range of perspective uh, in, in solving uh, the medical questions. That's right. He loves his patients, and they love him, too. And he's got, talk about a great bedside manner. He's just, he can talk to anybody. Um, anyway, he's just, he's, it's so, it's such a pleasure to be able to hear him in his 80s talk about how fulfilling his work still is. And there's a reason that I host a radio show called Working on Purpose. I am focused on the world of work. I think it's a very important part of our lives. It's at least a third of our lives, if not more. And it does really give us something. It is a way to live. And I don't, I'm not saying that work should be everything, but I happen to be living my purpose. And so my perspective on work is that it really is incredibly fulfilling. Now, there have been times in my life when my, I was not living my purpose. And I had a job and I had a paycheck. And I understand that many people, in fact, 85% of the global population doesn't want to go to work on Monday morning, which is why I'm doing the work that I'm doing today to awaken and enlighten them to the possibility of what it could be for them. So I do recognize for a lot of listeners, they might be going, uh, I don't want to keep doing this. But um, find something that you can put yourself into where you do find the meaning in it is what I'm. What I, I like to convey. Yeah, there's such value in what you're doing uh, to get people to rethink and uh, take a, a whole different look at their lives, their work, work situation. Completely agree. And with that, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Paul Garrett. He is a jack of all trades, done many things over his life. And today he's a faculty resource technician at Austin Community College. We've been talking a bit about why retirement wasn't a good idea for him and why I don't think it's a good idea. After the break, we're going to talk about retooling and why that is so critical in today's economy. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Paul Garrett. He, We call him a jack-of-all-trades, of many trades. Today, he is a faculty resource technician at Austin Community College, we were talking before the break about why retirement just wasn't a good idea for him and really what pulled him out of it. In this next segment, we want to talk about why, what he's doing today to help him continue to learn, to grow, and to retool. So he mentioned earlier before, uh, in the last segment, that he was taking a couple of courses on LinkedIn. One's photography, one's Photoshop. Let's talk about first why you chose those particular courses, Paul. Why those two courses? Well, the, um, the Photoshop is directly... Um tied into our efforts here in the Faculty Resource Center to help faculty prepare their lesson plans, to help them um, to be able to answer their questions about Photoshop. So I need to have that course in order to get into the, um, as a prerequisite to get into some of the more advanced Photoshop courses that are specifically designed for lesson plans. And then as far as the photography, I think I wanted to learn more, um, well, a number of reasons, but one of the factors was to try to use more of my creative side of my personality and my brain, um, and also to get better shots of friends and family. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, use of the creative side of the brain, uh, it's, it's shown that it will help uh, in the long run, as far as uh, preventing uh, dementia and other uh, uh, learning difficulties. So uh, I really um, am concerned about getting more active in things that you know involve different parts of my brain. And one of the things that I was reading recently was that um, they did a, a brain scan of somebody that was playing piano, and it showed that they were using a a, a different part of the brain fully fully using it than you know would be used any other normal activity during the day and um, the brain scan showed these neurons just firing off like mad and, and creating new links and so healthy for the brain and, and preventing uh, dementia and other problems. One of the things we talked about is it, how important it is to to develop our creativity in today's marketplace. And I'll quickly do a quick side note in that I heard uh, President George Bush speak last week at a convention, and he was talking about how he had taken a painting after he left the presidency. And he said, I always said I was not creative and I couldn't paint. And he said, by golly, I can. And he's really enjoying that. But what I think is really, really important from the vantage point of the world of work, I'm very, very sensitive and focused on how the, the, the human-machine collaboration component is going to play out in that there's so much fear out there in the workplace about how 
uh, artificial intelligence and robotics are going to win the day and they're going to take our jobs. So what are we humans going to do? Well, one way we can actually contribute mightily and compete against AI and robotics is by developing our creativity, our relationship skills, and our emotional intelligence. Those are things that, that, that machines can't do very well. Or at all, if that, if you can say. So I think it's really terrific that you've chosen something, photography, that will help develop your creativity. I've got like 36 courses in my queue, so I'm really interested also in, in going back and picking up a musical instrument and probably the piano to help develop that. You're reminding me, Paul. Um, I didn't. Be it, by the way, since we're at a community college, I want to I want to give a shout out to all the community colleges out there whoever your, the listeners that you're connected to them. I started my education in, in Portland Community College in Portland, Oregon. I didn't go to college until I was 24 years old and I started at Portland Community College. I got my Associates of Communication there. So I want to give a shout out first to community colleges. Um, and then the yay. other thing, right? Yay, <laughs> yay. Um, the other thing too at that time is I said, I'm going to learn two things when I go into college. I'm going to learn to speak French and I'm going to learn the piano. So I did two years of French while I was in, in, in community college, and that helped tremendously set a baseline for me. And then I took lessons from a 95-year-old woman, um, and I remember paying her. She, she charged $5 an hour. This was 1989, I think, in Portland, and I would be playing in her home, and she would be, she'd say, you missed the sea. <laughs> it was so fun, but yes, you know, adding adding music to to our to our our life and finding ways to be able to cultivate that creativity is so important. And why would you go back to music? Well, I think uh, there's something about it that's a a natural connection for people. Uh, it's um, a universal language, and uh, I've always been so interested in it and followed it and then not creating it and it doesn't make sense well and again you have you know you don't know how many how many years left you have in your life i from my vantage point is yes let's do all those things let's in, let's devour life for, for whatever time we have left whether it's today next year 10 years whatever it is there's so much that life has to offer and i what i am always amazed at when i'm out speaking to audiences um I really this I see people that really aren't leaning into life and and I and I ask I think to myself is that all you want from this beautiful amazing life that we have that's all you want um, so I love the fact that you're out there continuing to learn and grow and being of service and that you recognize just how you know for you retirement wasn't going to do it for you yeah uh, it's hard to picture myself as a pensioner <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, the other piece about the, the ongoing learning that I think is so great, and invariably I'm always taking some kind of a class. I would love, actually, I'm considering becoming a sommelier, um, you know, for, for, for wine tasting. Um, but I think I need to get the book out first and then and then <laughs> make sure that my platform is fully functioning up and running before I go after that. Please, but please that, do your book. Please, thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'll get that book written, darn it. Um, but I've always got something on my radar about what's the next thing I want to learn. So what else is on your radar? What else do you think you might want to learn? Uh, I want to learn, um, I, I've picked up in recent years studying Spanish, but I want to I want to become more um, capable in that because if you don't constantly practice it, you can't stay up with it very well. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I was fortunate that I, I lived in Spain and Brazil, so that's how I, I could add on Spanish and Portuguese to my French, and, and I later learned Italian, so that helps. So, And I love whenever I travel, I invariably get to use all five of the languages that I have some access to, and it opens something for me. 
Um, so going back to this whole retooling thing, I, I really just want to so emphasize that how important it's going to be for every human being to continue to retool, continue going back and learning something new, because that's the world that we're in. And you, you, it's, you can't just hang on to, I did a degree 30 years ago, or I've got training in this field 10 years ago. I, I read somewhere that, that, and I don't know if the, I can't speak to the veracity of the statement, but I read somewhere that by the time uh, a student completes four years of education, biology, whatever it might be, their knowledge will be outdated by the time they finish. Wow. That's how much we're learning. Well, that means we really need to step it up in the uh, higher education. But, I mean, it's always going to be that way with the advances, technology, the speed of, uh, of life just keeps getting more challenging and complex. It does, and that's why I, what I, one of the reasons, another reason I wanted to have you on the show is to really reiterate to our listeners the importance of, I know it takes time, and oftentimes it takes a financial investment to go and learn something additional, but it is really the only way you're going to stay viable in the workforce today is to continue developing new skills. I can tell you, for me, for example, I've, I've, I've um, up until recently, I, w- I would always say I'm not technical. I don't do technical things. Uh, I don't do technology. Well, guess what? That that can't that can't be so in order to live in today's world. I cannot allow that to be my reality. So now now I'm into I can learn, and I can learn. I have learned. And so, for your listeners out there that are really sort of protesting and sort of resisting this idea of learning something new, maybe it's a brand new field. Even really want to encourage you to. Look into that and see the possibilities for yourself. And Paul's coming out of retirement. He came from the Internal Revenue Service to a community college. That is so great. It's so fresh. And I can also attest to the listeners that uh, Elise is somewhat of a gearhead now. <laughs> very proud of that. I'm very proud of it. Yes, you should my- have seen her set up the uh, the the show equipment. My daughter is 16. She has taught me a lot as well. So uh, she speaks. She's very patient with me. And that she's taught me a lot as well. So whenever I'm in a jam, I remember when I first got my iPhone years and years ago, and I flew from Dallas to San Francisco, and I got off the plane, and I didn't know how to turn it back on. So I stopped the first youngest person I could find and said, hi, can you help me? And of course they did. <laughs> can you rescue great. me? I love that. Right? So that's another thing uh, that I really want to also call out that organizations can't, I really encourage organizations to do is really what we call reverse mentoring, where inside the organization, pairing very young people with much more senior people together in a, in a one-on-one relationship so that the young people can teach the older people how to utilize technology in a way that really makes a difference in their lives, among other things, social media and other things that, that, they, that they are natural at. And the older people can teach them things like the history of the organization, how politics work, why relationships are important, how decisions get made. Right, and the importance of, of how showing up at meetings is and things like that. So that is another part of ongoing learning that I think is critical, especially as organizations start to see more and more older people um, start to leave and maybe leave the workforce. And we will be more and more fueled by millennials in Generation, Generation Z, and we need that handoff. You need the uh, organizational, cultural, uh, oral histories. Absolutely. And personal stories and tales of success and failure that's right getting back up again and and solving things 
Yes, and and also what's really important too, and this goes back to, I would still put it in the learning category, it is part of the culture, is to be able to pass on that tradition to the people that are coming to the organization in a way that they know and recognize that they're part of something much bigger than they can maybe imagine just coming into the organization new and seeing this small, what seems like maybe a small role to them. The older, the older folks can help really usher in this understanding of what they really joined that can be incredibly motivating, incredibly meaningful. And that's another amazing thing that some of the people that have been around for a while can do for the younger people coming in. Yeah, and um, I felt blessed uh, in some of my previous uh, occupations where uh, some of the older people would take me under their wing and uh, show me the ropes in a certain particular area where they could see that I needed it and uh, that seems to be an art that I don't know that it's disappearing but it's something that we really need to treasure and hold on to is uh, those experiences between the the different generations of workers. Absolutely and there's so much we can learn from each other there's so much and 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 I, I really uh, I have a, a girl, girlfriend Sherry Elliot Yuri who is specializes, among other things, in generational workforces. And, and, and she has a great perspective on how the, the generations need each other and how they can learn from each other, which, of course, fits into this part of what we're talking about as well. And, and the, to the extent that an organization can set up its culture so that there is an active exchange between the generations, I think is incredibly useful. Yeah, I encourage young people um, to invest in education and I encourage uh, middle age and I encourage older people to continue investing in themselves and developing their all kinds of diverse educational skills. It's worth the money, whether it's traditional type of coursework or whether it's something uh, that's, um, you know, uh, newer uh, kind of uh, development or new age or whatever, if it's um, technical skills, don't just stand pat. Well, along those lines, one thing that I would really encourage listeners to do is is every chance you get, ask somebody to show you what they're doing and how it works. I mean, even something as simple as I watched my grandmother make a, a pie from scratch, the number of steps that you put in. And there's something about that creativity, her ability to put all those things together. And it actually, watching her do that helped me. I ported that over into how I began to write and how I began to structure my thoughts. And so you can take very disparate subjects and and get some a whole new perspective, a whole new insight into your world by looking at something else. And that's also part of retooling. I think is so important. That is so great that you that was you were able to take that from your uh, loved one like that and apply it well and it was kind of the layering what she was doing with it for me the, the, the pie dough the way that she layered it in it just gave me insight into how to layer in stories and how to layer in points and that's what I mean by what I learned from it um, and so anyway the point being is we have so much that we, we, we can draw from here and so there's opportunities everywhere to learn and we're at the end of the show already so um, I want to thank you, Paul, for being a guest on, on my radio program. Thank you for saying yes to this crazy request of me dropping in and doing a show with you on your campus. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Elise. It's been a real pleasure, and I'm so glad that you asked me on. You're very welcome. My pleasure. So last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Hope Mueller talking about her soon-to-be-released book, Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office, and the extraordinary upbringing she had that wove into powerful life lessons she took to the corporate life. 
Next week, we'll be on the air with Adrienne Court. She's the Chief Human Resources Officer at Alchemy. We'll be talking about the all-importance of culture in a company to drive connection, performance, and innovation, and learn about some of the specific and brilliant things Alchemy does to keep its culture alive. See you there. Remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>